And good morning, Calvary. Good morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. Um, it's been a busy week. We had the IJM 5K. Um, in case you didn't know, this, there's this guy named Chris leading worship here today, and it's been a busy weekend. We've really enjoyed um, getting him and his wife and his family into our town. And in case you don't know how the process works, so here's, here's kind of how it works. Let me give you a, a 50,000 foot view. Um, about a year ago, I happened to be, have a mutual friend who helped, uh, who put, invited me to speak at a camp. So when I spoke at his camp, Chris was leading the worship for that camp. So when the time came for us to search, I did what Trevor did, which is what Drew did, which is what everybody did that we knew of. We started tweeting out to everybody who knows, hey, are you interested? Would you know of anybody who's interested? That kind of thing. And through the process, uh, Chris ended up applying for the job. And then through that process, the search team narrowed it down to where he is here today. And if all goes well, hopefully he'll be here in early June. So that's kind of how the process works. Part of what we wanted this weekend is for them to feel at home. You realize that, right? Because that's when, when you move across country or you move wherever you move from, you want to feel home. And then, then you come up to a place and everybody has a weird accent. It's just kind of a weird thing to think about. And then you sit there and you, you go through the motions and you want people to feel at home. But here's the problem. The problem is the same problem that we all have. We don't ever really feel at home because this isn't our home. It just isn't. And we're doing a series called Dwell, going through Philippians 4.8. And the idea of a dwelling is an idea that it should, a dwelling should feel familiar, feel safe in a place you want to be. And that's a good place. I, I like the term that we're, we're looking for a dwelling rather than a home, because our home is in the next life if you have a relationship with Jesus. But we want to feel safe. We want to feel uh, familiar. We want to be in a place that, that, that people want to be. So we've read this passage, and what I want you to see is we've been covering two words a week out of this passage. So there's eight words we're, we're kind of tackling. And sometimes you may think they're isolated, but I think this week you're going to start to see how they build on each other, okay? So we're looking in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and here's what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So we started this series by asking you, where does your mind dwell? And that's a key thing because you are um, influenced by the world. And you have the choice to let the world influence. You have the choice to do that. You have the choice to let it distract you, to carry you away. You have the choice of where your mind dwells. And, and the goal of this series, really, spoiler alert, was to come to a place where you are more at peace because we're not really at home. And part of the reason that we don't we know we're not home as we don't feel at peace, right? But if we're trying to find a familiar, safe place that we want to be, it should lead to peace. How do we know that? Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned, in other words, what we've just dwelled on, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And ultimately, know, we'll know we're at peace when we rejoice, and we will rejoice because we're at peace. So what does this look like? We started week one. I'm going to do a little review in case you've been gone. Week one, we, we asked you to think about and dwell on what is true and honorable. And the idea of, this, idea of this week was to recognize what is getting your attention. If it's not based on facts or glorifying God, then don't give it your focus. We, we told you to avoid the what-if scenarios and to realize that if we all do the what-if scenarios, we're all going to be like, ah, our house is on fire. It's not really, but we can feel like it, right? 
We all start going through the what ifs, and, and our mind starts chasing these rabbits. Our mind starts going down these foxholes. Our mind starts going into whatever hunting term you want to come up with. And you start coming up through all these things, and you start going down this path. And, and then you never feel at peace because what you're really trying to do is guard your life. And so we ask you to focus on what is true, and what is true is Jesus. And then when you don't do that, Trevor uh, challenged us last week to repent from when we make bad choices. Because when we are to dwell on what is just and pure, we're dwelling on the things that God asks us to do. And when injustice and impure thoughts come in our life, ultimately what we need to do is turn the other way and to choose to do the right thing. So the first two weeks have been recognizing what is getting your attention. The second one is to repent. And this week we're going to be discussing what is lovely and commendable. And I, I've really been looking forward to this one. And I want to, to warn you right now, it's kind of a heavy little topic, especially for some of you, it'll be heavy, but I love it. And the idea of lovely, let's just dive right in. Lovely is this idea of what is holy or beautiful or right. That's the biblical word there. What is holy or beautiful or right? Have you, when was the last time you saw something that was really, just really beautiful? Husbands, you should be pointing right now. When was the last time, some of you are like, I should have thought of that, and now she's mad. When was the last time you saw something that was really, really beautiful? It was a few weeks ago, my wife and I had the privilege to go to the Chicago Art Museum. And I want to set this up before we show any slides, because I have some slides to show you. Growing up, I used to play this game called Masterpiece. Anybody ever heard of it? It was like a 1970s game. Thank you. Um, and what you did is, this game, they had priceless works of art. And then you would attach a value to it. And then the whole game was trying to buy the art at the cheapest right price and then turning it into the bank for lots of money at the end. It really wasn't valuing the art for the art. It was really about getting money, right? But I loved it because I loved the artwork. And you would find that you would sit there and go, I like that piece more than other. But he, all that to set the story up. When we went to the Chicago Art Museum, a lot of the paintings were there. And I was like, I'm reliving my childhood. And so this picture was one of the ones that we noticed there. It, it was this beautiful picture of this young, this young lady girl and her uh, little daughter. I have no earthly idea who painted this. In the earlier service, I wrote it, which shows how cultured I really am. I, I have no earthly idea who painted it, but I remember seeing it. And if you really get close, and you can get pretty close, you can see the paintbrushes. And the, the, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful piece. Here's another one that was in the game. This one, I had my wife stand next to it because, well, it gains perspective. Now, what you may not realize that, that painting is not a painting like with brushstrokes. That painting is made by what they call pointillism. Pointillism is a bunch of dots. That entire painting, look how big that way it made, was dot, 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 dot. That, that's a beautiful, beautiful painting. And then the last one is the one that we always fought over in our game. Um, and I, so that I, that's the reason I'm creepily close to it. It's because I was like, take my picture. I got to send it to my brother. And so I'm like right in front of that and, and looking at it. And it's a beautiful painting. And we saw priceless piece of art after priceless piece of art after priceless piece of art walking around that museum. And we left there thinking that place was lovely, beautiful. The artwork was amazing. But we also left with a similar thought of a train of thought that you may not have thought right away. Look at that painting. What don't you see? Glass, protective things around it. 
Now, there are cameras all along, around, and there is these little moments when you started getting too close, and you heard it all the day, throughout the day, this little beep, 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 and you knew somebody was getting too close to the artwork. And this lovely lady or lovely gentleman would come out, and they would go, please have your four-year-old step away from the priceless piece of art. And they're like, oh, thank you. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to have to buy that. And, but I, we sat there thinking, okay, I'm just amazed. We were both just amazed with how approachable these priceless pieces of art were. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Why were we amazed with that thought? I think it's because of this truth. We've been taught in this life that what is lovely or beautiful rarely will stay beautiful. Someone will damage it. And you see, there's something you need to understand about what is lovely. Everything that is lovely has been created. Everything that is lovely has been created. So outside of priceless pieces of painting, what else is created? Well, how about, wait for it, creation. Right? Creation has been created. And I, I thought about sharing this other slide, but this poor couple has had enough trouble and I didn't want to know how to block out their eyes and their faces because I'm not very good at that or, you know, have to do the little cover their faces. But this couple has gone viral because they went out to this, this enormous rock and took their picture and they thought it was a brilliant idea to carve their name into the, the rock. Well, the world has not treated them kindly since that moment because apparently this rock, right, is, is everyone appreciates it for its beauty, its loveliness. And people have been really, really mad saying they should go to prison for life and, you know, all those kind of things. And our, we should carve the word earth into their skin, that kind of thing, and show them what it feels like. And, and, I, and I get it. It's, it's a piece of rock. But here's the reality. We are supposed to take care of creation. In Genesis, that says Adam and Eve were in the garden. They said, take care of it. And so people get mad because you destroy what is lovely. And and we learned that people will. But why do we do that? Why did they, what, what compelled them to write their initials? It's the same reason that we always feel like creation or what is created is damaged. Why it loses its loveliness. You ready for it? We live in a selfish world. We damage what is lovely for our gratification. Here's the problem. When we use what is lovely for our own gratification, we ultimately miss out not only on God's best intention for our lives, but we damage other lives as well. And in doing so, we are robbing everyone of what is lovely about God's creation and damaging creation's purpose for our lives. See, creation is ultimately about pointing people to the glory of God. Did you get that? Creation is ultimately about pointing to the glory of God. And as a result, creation is not to be consumed. It is to be cared for. The earth. The paintings. You know, the most beautiful paintings can point to the beauty of God. But there is one creation that stands above them all, and that's humanity. In Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And Trevor referred to this last week. Since the, the beginning of time, Adam and Eve were like in the garden. They were totally cool. They were like not clothed, right? And they were like fine with that. And I'm like, so what's up with that? Well, they weren't ashamed of the skin they were in. They weren't ashamed. They didn't feel like anybody. But here's a, so we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this about how, I'm, by the way, I'm glad you're all in clothes. Okay. 
But part of the reason we wear clothes is we're, we're ashamed of the skin we're in. But here's another part of why we wear clothes. Because we know this world will take advantage of what is lovely if given the chance. Physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. And I, I don't even know what to say to that. Can I just pause for a moment and put on a, a kind of a pastor's heart for a second? I know when you preach a sermon like this, for some people, this kind of message is a trigger. And I, I want to just say I'm sorry. Because I recognize that every single man and woman and boy and girl in this room has been taken advantage of in some way, form, or fashion by another human being. Who? Everyone. Whether it was the promotion that you should have gotten that, that you didn't get, or the, to the horrors that I won't even mention, somebody has been out to satisfy their own lack of worth and value because they've lost their dignity, their what makes them beautiful, what makes them lovely. And they've longed to fill that void by taking advantage of you. And I've heard the stories, and I've grieved with you, and I, I've cried with some of you, and, I, and I'm going to cry some more, I'm sure. And what I want to say is, I truly, truly am sorry, but you aren't supposed to stay there. That the God of this universe doesn't look at you as damaged goods. He looks at you as his prized creation. And even though someone may have come up and punched you, damaging you, God still sees your value. And when God asks us to dwell on what is lovely, I think the reason that he asks us to do that is not just sit there and go, well, I'm not lovely. That's lovely, so I can find a little hope. I think he wants us to realize that in his infinite knowledge, in his infinite wisdom, he looks down into our very hearts, our DNA, and he says, I don't care about the damage in your past, whether it was inflicted on by you or inflicted by someone else. I want you to know, son or daughter, you are the ultimate creation of the king. And your life is to reflect the glory of me. So how do we get there? The ultimate idea of dwelling on what is lovely is to really get us to the place where we realize what could be. Did you get that? What could be. I went to a conference a few weeks ago and they were talking about all the ways that society has abused itself whether that's based on race, whether that's based on gender, whether that's based on economic power, whether that's based on any other antidote that you can come up or any other uh, comparison or any other, whether it's because they had red hair or no hair or whatever. Society, that's, 
And the whole point of it they were talking about in this one session was the reason that we take advantage of each other is there's a longing in ourselves that we realize that we are, we are longing for hope and we are longing for identity. And without someone coming along and showing us where we can find hope and, and identity, what we, we taught, what we are taught is if something is lovable, consume it because it will satisfy your longing for a while. Like a piece of cake on a plate in front of you. Take it and eat it. Why? Because it'll taste good. That's a crass way to look at the world. Can we acknowledge that? And what the antidote to that is, because what ultimately happens is you sitting there going, I'm going to use the power I have to take what isn't mine to gratify myself for a temporary moment, which ultimately longing for more gratification. So I'm going to keep taking and keep taking and keep taking. Here's the problem. In order to take something, you are robbing someone else of their dignity. In order to take something, you are robbing someone else of their humanity. And in doing so, you're beating them down. So what ends up happening is you're teaching them the same thing that was taught you, which is says, I'm going to be a person who is taken advantage of. So I've got to rise up. I've got to find my voice. I've got to find my own power. And so so what ends up happening is after you're beat down for a while, you rise up and then you get a little power. And the reaction is, I like the power because people can't punch me. And that you don't realize that the only way that you're finding satisfaction, the only way to attain this type of power is to punch someone else. And that's not what God wants us to do. What would it look like if we really imagined a world we dwelled on all of humanity as lovely, as created in the image of God. This trickles down not only into our world, but it, it trickles down even into our marriages. Sometimes people get married, you may not realize this, they get married because of what he or she will do. Well, I don't know how to do this. She does. Checks off the box. I don't know how to do this. He does. So we do it from chores. We do it from intimacy. We do it, and then we don't even realize that we're doing it with the people we love is what we're doing is we're holding them down, trying to get what we can get. All the while, that's not what we should be about. We should be about helping each other find what is lovely, ultimately pointing to Christ. So how do we do that? Well, dwelling on what is lovely reminds us of the potential that we all have had and can have. But when we dwell on what is commendable, we're stirred to action. So what is commendable? Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, what is commendable? Commendable is that which is worthy of accommodation, accolades, or recognition. Why does Paul want us to dwell on what is lovely? He's reminding us of our creator. He is reminding us not only of what we should have been, but what could be. There's hope. We can restore the loveliness of this world by focusing on what is commendable. So what is lovely is reserved for that which is created, but what is commendable is reserved for the divine and or human action. In other words, the reason that we gathered yesterday, for those of you who are here, and ran a race, wasn't because we like to run. Some of you like to run. You are sick people. No, I'm, I'm glad you like to run. I do not at all. In fact, my mentality is if someone's coming at me with a knife, I just look for someone to trip, <laughs> which is using my power for the wrong reason. You see what I did? I tied that, that joke into an illustration. 
Awkward. Okay, um, so what we have to understand is ultimately what we're about. The reason we did that yesterday was because we realized we raised $20,000 plus. You all raised $20,000. You all sacrificed. You all went and knocked on doors and got people to sign up for people who are being trafficked, used, power, taken over those less fortunate for their own temporary gratification at the ultimate insult of humanity. We said no. And that action is commendable. But it doesn't have to stop there. What would it look like if we did the 5K every day? Well, we'd all be in really good shape. But I think you know what I'm saying. I'm not talking about running a race. I'm talking having the action of making our lives Dwell on what is commendable. So let's look what that looks like. A few weeks ago, we recognized where our mind should dwell. On the things of God. And when you do, you find that you're made in the image of God. And that you are his creation and prize. And, and we asked you to dwell on the things that are true. And when you weren't, last week we asked you to repent. Focusing back on and, and coming back to where you need to be. And so you might have noticed the pattern. We're going to have another R word here that fits in. Okay? And our word that summarizes our Monday morning application, our word that goes all this direction. And the first one, the first word that came to my mind, thinking back to the um, art gallery, is to replace. Because if something's damaged, just replace it, right? Easy. It's easy to replace stuff, unless it's a priceless work of art. So here's how it works. Marriage is going bad, it's broken. Why don't we just replace it? How's that working for you? It doesn't. Because replacing something doesn't ultimately make that which you damaged valuable anymore. And you're left with the brokenness of it. So then the other option is we go repair it. Repair it. And so here's what we do. We, we take our MacGyver tools. If you don't know what MacGyver is, you're under 40. Um, but if, you're, if you know what MacGyver, MacGyver believes he can fix everything with duct tape and WD-40. And all the engineers in the room went... Amen. And so you try to, but here's the problem is you can't fix humans like that. So what we do is we approach our problems, that which is broken. We approach our difficulties, our struggles, like we have a band-aid on the back of a priceless piece of art. So somebody comes up and they punch a priceless piece of art at that art museum, right? And be like, I got this, guys. And we pull out the band-aid. The lady pulls out the band-aid out of her purse or the guy out of the back pocket. He goes around to the backside. After all, we don't want to damage the fine artwork, right? And we, we lay it out smooth and we lay out that band-aid. And we walk back around and we go, it's fixed. No, it's not. You tried to repair it. But the problem is you and I can't repair it. We don't know how. We don't have the abilities. We don't have the tools or the skills to do it. So repairing it's not the solution. The solution isn't to replace it. The solution isn't to repair it. The solution is to restore it. And there's a difference there. There's a distinction you need to understand. What comes after repentance is restoration. And restoration is the action of returning something to a former condition. Here's the problem. It takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes a lot of dedication, a lot of moments. It takes 
sometimes walking people through tragic stories. It takes the moments where you whisper in their lives. It takes the moments where you sit there and you go, you know what, I can't fix you, but I know the one who does. And we painstakingly walk them through their brokenness and we remind them that in your original state, you are a priceless work of art. And God wants to restore you there. So here's my challenge for you today. Dare to dream. As a church, as a follower of Christ, dare to dream. Dream on what this life could look like if the church really embraced the call to restoration. Not just slapping band-aids, but really trying to restore people to the dignity through which they remain. And here's our Monday morning application then. It's to make an intentional effort to see God's creation as worthy of protecting and restoring it to its original dignity. Protecting and restoring to its original dignity. Let me give you three examples. You can pull your phones out, screenshot. That worked really well last week. It scared me to death. Um, how many people actually did it? But you, you can do that. Here's three examples. This is not all of them, but three examples. Learn someone's name that you wouldn't learn normally and listen to their story. Learn someone's name that you wouldn't normally. The guy at the grocery store, the, the, the lady behind the counter at the gas station, the, the banker. Learn their name. Why? Because there is value in the name. The reason we give names is to give value. The reason we give names is we want people to recognize, hey, I'm Daniel Berry. I'm not the redheaded guy who preaches at Calvary. My name is Daniel Berry. And just in case, did you know, there are a couple other Berries, uh, Daniel Berries out there. They gave me a middle name, James, in case you're ever wondering. So you can call me Daniel. You can call me Daniel James. Don't call me DJ. We're not friends. <laughs> and it's not restoring me to my dignity. See what I did there? When you know someone's name, it says I care. And then not only know their name, but listen to their story. How do I do that? When was the last time you stopped at the grocery line when there wasn't 42 people behind you? That might be bad form. And said, hey, I'm a member of a local church, and I just want to pray for you. Is there anything you want to pray for? Hey, I just want to know how your week is. You know what the answer is? Almost always, fine. No, really, I want to know how your week is. When's the last time you got to know your waiter's name? Instead of figuring out on a calculator to the penny, rounding down, right? How much money you should leave them a tip. You left them a $50 tip because you want them to know that someone loves them and his name is Jesus. When was the last time we did that? Another thing. Use your personal restoration story to help someone else. You see, many of us in this room, I believe, have been damaged and restored. And we call that going green. When you've walked through the divorce and you feel like your world is collapsing, and you sit there and you go, I don't know how I'm going to make it to tomorrow. I don't know what this looks like. And somebody came into your life and said, son or daughter, you still have value. I went through it too. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to share with you. And the idea of going green spiritually is recycling your junk and helping other people see there's hope on the other side. You know what the other key to recycling is? It means you've done with it. I'm done with it. I've, I've been brought through the other side. And I know many of your stories. And when you get through that and you can help other people find the glory of Jesus, boy, that's a beautiful place to be. So maybe you can recycle your story and help other people through it. And finally, 
Spend some time alone with God, letting him restore you. Because why? Because he is the ultimate creator. He made you, he knew you, and he loves you. And the reason that I know this is because the God of this universe lovingly knit you together in your womb and you still walked away. You damaged yourself and other people damaged you. You're the priceless piece of work hanging in the gallery going, hey, this is fun, until someone walked up and they ripped a hole of you. And you're like, I have no hope and no value anymore. And God looked down at that creation and said, that's not good enough. Son or daughter, I still love you. So the Father sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. And through that restoration process, he hung on the cross and paid a way for us to be restored back into the original idea of what we were created to be in a right relationship with him from now into eternity. Because this home isn't our home. The home that's coming is our home. And today I want to invite you into that restoration, a relationship with Jesus, because that's where the ultimate peace comes. And if you believe in your heart that, that he was raised from the dead, and confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, the Bible says, then you can be a follower of Jesus. It's about a relationship. And we want you to stop by our next step space out there and say, hey, my name is, what's your name? Tell me about Jesus. Can you do that? We want to walk you into dignity and help you know how to live this life. And finally, church, as we wrap this up, here's what I would encourage you to realize. God has not forgotten you. And in this room, some of you are at the bottom of your brokenness. You sit there and you go, how could anybody restore this? I, it's not a simple terror. I feel shattered. And the answer is to let it be Jesus. Jesus can heal all. Church, we can do this. We can think about what is lovely and think about what is commendable. And take action and restore this world. Give a little hope. Give a little light to the ultimate hope that we have. And his name is Jesus. So everything that we're about from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we go to bed at night. From the time that we are born as a, a newborn baby to the time that we are no longer on this earth. May this be our prayer. May our life be pointing others to Jesus. The ultimate creator and master artist. The ultimate I am. The great peace. The great sovereign. The great love hope, the friend, the Savior, our only source of joy, our only comfort, and the great restorer of our misfortunes, the great restorer of our sin, our ineptness, and the one who loves you enough to say, child, I love you right where you are. Come to me and let me restore you. So God, in this room right now, may our prayer be, let it be, Jesus. And God, I pray for peace in this room. I pray for your presence to overwhelm us. I pray that as we come into this room and as we come into a presence with you, that you would speak clearly what our next steps are. How do we show someone today that, that they are lovely and live a commendable life? God, how do we find that in our own lives? So God, we ask that you would move in us and for those who are broken, would you just fall down, you know, your presence be felt, and would you whisper in our ears, son or daughter, I have 
not forgotten you. And I have never left you. I am here and I will be with you through this storm. Come to me. Trust in me. Rely in me. Find your hope in me. Make your prayer about me. And I will restore you. For you are my prized creation in whom I love. God, may we feel that and live that as we live this white life with this simple phrase in mind. Let it be Jesus.